doesn't matter if you live in a big city. If you are a part of some sort of scene, music scene, art scene, film scene, etc., sooner or later, you would have met everyone in it, and your big city will eventually feel like a small town. Even here in Toronto, people who consider themselves cosmopolitan often don't venture outside of their comfortable five-kilometer radius they've carved out for themselves. Most people are happy to exist and thrive regionally. Well, more power to them. Our band, however, played with different goalposts. We started our band to leave our city, to journey out and see the world. When I would hear myself say these aspirations out loud, it would sound like what a child would say to his friends on the playground during recess. It seemed ridiculous. It sounded dumb. But you know what? Fucking hell, we did it. We did leave our comfortable surroundings of Toronto and see the world. Over 40 countries on six continents and, and counting. <laughs> but no matter how far we would journey, when the tour was over, it would slingshoot us back home to Toronto. More time spent on the road has us hightailing it quicker and quicker back home. I've learned to really relish my time off the road. When I catch myself wanting to go home, Badly from weeks that have compounded into months on the road, I remind myself that this is what I asked for and to just shut up about it. Alison Baker was another Toronto musician with the same itch. She was in a very well-known, well-respected Toronto punk band called Teen Crud Combo. Listeners to the podcast may recognize the name as it was fronted by Nick Flanagan. And while Teen Crud Combo were doing well, she dissolved the band and did what we were all a little too scared to do. She left our one-horse town of Toronto and headed out to San Francisco for good. No contacts, no friends to hook her up, no jobs, no leads, no bands to play in, just her goddamn will to thrive in music. It's almost like a test of true talent and survival. If you were to be dropped in the middle of nowhere and needed to fend for yourself... Could you not only survive, but eventually succeed? The hard truth is most bands who have achieved some modicum of success couldn't do it again if their life depended on it. Most bands are known to us because some behind-the-scenes strings were pulled, and that's often the disappointing truth about your favorite bands. They were lucky lightning struck once. But in Allison's case, it was easy to see her drive and undeniable talent would eventually have us at home in Toronto, on the other side of the continent, hearing about her from way over there in San Francisco. On episode number 98 of Damien Abraham's Turned Out a Punk podcast, Allison was the guest and went through her beginnings in music, including telling Damien one of the greatest first rock show experiences anyone has ever had, and that tale includes The Dwarves and Flipper. She went through her bands, The Shuttlecocks and Teen Crud Combo, and the various personalities of the Toronto punk rock scene on that podcast. This episode here, I kind of view as a part two of where Turned Out a Punk left off. We discuss her time after dissolving Teen Crud Combo, moving to San Francisco, and the bands she started there that include Dirty Ghosts, the band she continues to head up to this day. If there was a six degrees of Alison Baker revolving around music, it would be as far-reaching as The Dwarves, to Aesop Rock, to Armed and Hammer, to Chick Chick Chick, to LP from Run the Jewels, to even our band. Even though we never collaborated musically, we were one of the 
two bands that recorded a live session on Allison's college radio show called Hell Yeah back in 1997. In the last 20 years, I've only seen Allison once since she left Toronto. This past February, while we were on our California mini run with Junkyard, Allison came out to the San Francisco show at Bottom of the Hill, and that made it the second time I'd seen her in 20 years. And it was fun to catch up, and we continue our catching up on this episode. In case you haven't noticed, I'm going weekly with these podcasts, trying to keep myself busy during lockdown, and hopefully someone out there is enjoying these enough to forget about the global pandemic for a little less than an hour or so. We are all meant to get over this, and we will, with some mutual respect, a little bit of empathy, and a whole lot of social distancing, we will get through it. I can't wait for the day we all get to be around each other again, and I do believe that day is sooner rather than later. Don't believe people who aren't doctors or scientists. Don't believe flat earthers. And listen to a lot of music. Pizza helps too. A lot of pizza. Okay, here we go. My good friend Allison Baker from Dirty Ghosts is this episode's guest, and it starts now. The Tango Joe's podcast is the best around. Nick Lennon is Tango's co host. Tell for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Give me in from Fuck Joe. Stop playing. Hang Joe. Joe. Hello. Hi. You messaged me out of the blue, really. Um, yeah. Uh, and you sent me this uh, new Dirty Ghosts song, which is, I mean, it's fantastic. Um, and so there's a lot to unpack with you and you and I catching up on a lot of things. And we started back in February, right before the lockdown. And then you sent me this track. Uh, strange weather and that it, it's fantastic it's it's so that's what I wanted to get back to, to to asking you about was so I've known you from shuttlecocks yeah so the first time I ever saw, so I saw you I I thought of you as you know you were a scenester in the Toronto rock scene Toronto punk rock scene and then Oh, you've got a band. Okay, so I uh, went to see you at the back of the Cameron House. Now, I don't know if you remember a gig there, but the Shuttlecock's at the back of the Cameron House, and your guitar playing blew me away. I was like, Wow, thank you. Yeah, I was like, Wow, she's the best guitar player on the scene. And then it just went from there uh, Team Cred Combo, and then um, 
Now, it's funny, leading up to this episode, I, uh, I, was, uh, I re-listened to your appearance on Turned Out a Punk. With oh, da- yeah, that was fun. Damien Abraham. And you guys left it, I think, right, after, right at the tail end of Teen Cred Combo. So that's perfect because, you know, Damien and I kind of tag team podcasts. Um, so he took care of the punk side of you. Now, I want to unpack what happened when you left Toronto years and years and years and years ago um, and started to started a band and you, you, you went full on in with Parchment Farm. Yeah. So this, I can actually trace this back to living in Toronto and um, having a radio show at CIUT and which you will appreciate this tidbit. So I had a show, um, CIUT, I think it was from around 95, 96, 97, 98, somewhere in there. I can't remember how long it was going for, but it was on Thursday at midnight. And then the guy who came in after me was Thor Velaquin, and he had a show called Thor's Leather Shorts. Do you remember him? No. Okay. So he he had a, a three or four hour show that started at one in the morning and he would come in and he'd start setting up while I was playing my last song. So the first thing he would do is he would drape this giant Hawkwind flag. He'd pin <laughs> it up. At, he'd pin it up at the back of the control room. He'd turn all the lights off. He'd start lighting candles. And he had this, he wore the same outfit every time, which was these weird, really short patchwork leather shorts and some, you know, seventies band shirt with the sleeves ripped off and, and, uh, those, you know, sandals that lace up to your knees. And he definitely had a, he had a look and, um, and he always played great music, but it was nothing I ever knew. It was always kind of hard rock and, um, psychedelic and like late, late sixties, early seventies, psychedelic music, a lot of Hawkwind. Right. That was his favorite band. So I remember one night he came in and he put on, um, deep purple and rock he put it on and it just, it like stopped me dead in my tracks. And I can actually, that is sort of the moment I can pinpoint in my life where my, I, there was this just discovery of a completely different genre of music for me that I knew nothing about, which is all seventies rock and psychedelic music and all that kind of stuff. I had no idea. I didn't know blue cheer. I didn't know any of it. I was just really in my, I was just kind of stuck in my very narrow, uh, you know, punk rock and whatever else I was listening to at the time, garage rock. And, and, uh, I, I don't know. I hadn't, I hadn't ventured very far out of those, those, those tight little, I don't know, boundaries I had confined myself to. So, so anyway, I, I, the next day I went out and I got that record and then that sort of led me, like I said, down that path where I started getting into all that music. And I think for me, musically, when I'm in going from band to band, um, usually what my next project is, is a reaction to the one before. So it's, I want to do something completely different or I find something else that is inspiring me in a new way. And maybe what I wasn't doing before, I wasn't quite having the same effect on me. So I needed to try something else. So I think all of my bands have had musically very different sounds or influences so I 
decided pretty quickly that, um, and this was around the time that, not, or not not too far from when I was going to leave Toronto and I knew Team Crowd Combo was going to end, that I wanted to do something that was more based in, um, you know, 70s hard rock and late 60s psychedelic music and all that kind of heavy blues inspired rock music. And so that's how Parchment Farm started. I, I was just kind of hell bent on starting something that sounded like that. And for me, I just wanted to play that kind of music on guitar. I'd been playing Team Crown Combo was so fast paced. Right. Yeah. And, and you it have was the chops, like, you have the chops to, to take on hard rock. And I had never really done it before. Yeah. So I thought, you know, if I just, if I try music almost at like half tempo of what I had been doing before, there's probably a lot, a lot more areas I can explore on the guitar and, and different things I can do. And, you know, I'm not stuck between one or two different rhythmic patterns because I'm up at like 185 BPMs or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so it took me a couple years to get that going once I had moved out here because I didn't know anyone, no no you know, it it was hard to get people. You're basically starting from zero. Nobody knows who you are, nobody cares that you were in other bands, nobody knows your other bands and so I feel like I had to prove myself to people out here and it just took some time. Right, right. Um and and I wound up um I wound up having Carson Banks, who is an, another old friend from Toronto, who you know very well. Um, Carson came out here and, and did the band with me, and he was of the same mind musically. He wanted to do that kind of music, so that made it a lot easier for me to have a you know a buddy and and someone who you could write with, and someone who you know from back in the day who who's known you since you were a teenager, and and so, yeah, we did that band, and I it, we weren't around for very long. It was about three years, and then Dirty Ghost was the next thing that happened after that, which Carson started out in, but it it wound up just after. There's been a lot of different people in and out of Dirty Ghost, but it's it's always been me, and that's been going for, like, 12 years, really. Right. So, I mean, um, I have the Parchment Farm album, and, oh, cool. Yeah, and, and I, I liked it a lot. Now, Parchment Farm, if I'm not mistaken, is the band is named after a cactus song. Is that it? Yeah, it's so it's actually it's actually an old blues song by Mose Allison, if I'm okay. saying his name right. And Cactus covered it, uh Blue Cheer covered it. I it, I think it's a pretty standard song. Mm. I think a, a lot of people covered it. It's right. very old. So we took it from from Blue Cheer, who were, that was sort of, that was our touchstone band uh, for okay. all of us that we were obsessed with at the time. Okay, because I, I, I used to work at Outside Music with Carson. Yeah. And on our lunch breaks, uh, a lot of the staff, who we were all in bands, we'd go to, um, oh, now again, the record store on Queen Street East escapes me. And it closed recently, around, not around again, but anyways... We would buy Discovery? Discovery. And we would buy records on our lunch break there. And I remember Carson distinctly remember he returning uh, from a trip at Discovery with a cactus record. So when I when I heard that the name of your band was Parchment Farm, I thought uh, the first thought was, well, that album really 
really did something to Carson. Uh, right, right. Th- that was my first thought. So I always thought it was from the Cactus, from the Cap- Cactus album. No, I think, yeah, it was from Blue Cheer, but we love Cactus too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a band we listened to a lot around that time for sure. Now that's really interesting because it's, it's, it makes sense to hear you say your transition from, you know, that uh, 10 on the floor driving punk rock beat of like a Zeke or like a motorhead on, on, on more speed. <laughs> that's like, what I always, that's what I would always say. It was like motorhead on 45 or something. Yeah. Like it's, it's even on more. So like, I remember you as you were a huge Zeke fanatic and, uh, you know, a lot of those bands in that vein where it's just like pedal to the metal and team cred combo. You could really hear that influence in the band, but at, yeah. because I had seen you in Shuttlecocks, I always knew that, oh, she's doing this thing because she likes this music. Not because it's like a lot of bands in that genre. No disrespect. It's their only option because that's all they can do. I always knew that this was a choice of yours to do this style when, in fact, you could do whatever style you wanted. So when I heard about Parchment Farm and I heard Parchment Farm, I'm like, well, this this totally makes sense. Now, you know, she can, you know, showcase more, you know, guitar prowess. And I knew that you were uh, capable of doing whatever kind of music you were. And you're just like, I hate the word evolving. I hate that word. Uh, <laughs> but you were like, just you were moving in, 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 you know, it's like, it's like the guy who loves pop punk you know like yeah. no effects or chicks yeah. dig it but you know back home he could play like you know like a Bach piece or or he could play like Ingve Momstein so it, it it was like that kind of I've always thought of you like that type of musician or or person making music um so it made sense it made complete sense when I heard Dirty Ghosts but what I was most surprised about was that you took the lead role in singing yeah, that was not the plan. Right. That wasn't the plan at all. So as a but, singer myself, what led you to that slot? Well, when Parchment Farm ended and Carson and I started Dirty Ghosts, and I kind of knew what I wanted it to be, but I didn't. Actually, I don't think I knew what I wanted it to be, but I was in a very experimental phase. And at the time, I was married to my ex-husband who is a rapper and a producer and he and I were living together and he was a, you know, he's a pretty prolific musician and he makes music so differently from me. And I had never really seen any other process before. I'm used to just going into a practice space or, you know, strumming on your bed at home with your guitar and then just bringing something into the band and jamming on it or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and Ian, my ex-husband, he would, um, he would go into, we had a two bedroom apartment. He would go into the second bedroom. He had a sampler, he had, uh, pro tools. He had a couple keyboards and, um, a record player for sampling stuff. And he would do it all himself. I had never seen this in my life. And, uh, and I was completely intrigued by that. And I was also 
I admired the fact that he was able to do this on his own and there was no scheduling. There were no people or personalities or things he had to juggle or worried, worried about. And, um, he didn't have to, he could make all the decisions on his own or whether that was a good thing or a bad thing when you're working by yourself, you know, that's, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I, I wanted to, uh, explore that myself. And so he showed me how to do it. And Carson and I sort of learned how to do it together. And he and I would sit down and we'd work on music in front of the computer in two rolling office chairs in the second bedroom. And Ian would loop up drums and Carson would plug his bass and I'd plug my guitar and we'd go into a pod direct into the computer, which is very different. And we just start jamming and I don't know, we had maybe 20, 30, 40 pieces of music. And eventually, we kind of looked at each other and thought, well, what are we doing? What are we going to do with this? Do we put a band together? And we didn't have a singer. And I was totally against singing. I, You know, for me, my comfort zone is always being a guitar player. And in Team Crud Combo, like, there's always a part of me that wants to some- somehow control what's going on vocally because I can hear, <laughs> I can, I can hear it in my head, but I can't, I can't do it, and I don't want to do it. Right. You know. So, luckily, in Team Crud, for example, Nick was always really happy to work with me. So, like, he and I could sit down and work out vocal rhythms together, and. Not that there was a lot of harmony or, you know, melody going on in that band, but I was somehow I could sort of shape it into what I had heard in my head in terms of because with vocals, I I never hear lyrics. It, to me, vocals, I hear as a, it's another instrument. So I hear it rhythmically and I hear it melodically, not verbally. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess just to answer your question, I think that we had been, Carson and I had been doing this for a good year and I could feel him losing interest in, because this wasn't going anywhere. We Mm. didn't have a band. And I think we had tried out a couple different singers and it just, it wasn't working. And I just realized like, I just have to do this. I just have to do this myself. I have to get over whatever my issues are with being a front person and, and just do it and try my best and it will it'll be what it's going to be it's not going to be what i want it to be but i'll just have to settle for it and so that's kind of what happened but you know the way the way that i felt about it is at that point i had been a guitar player for i don't know 17 years and i had been a singer for zero years like literally zero so i felt you know, if I'm putting those two things together and one is going to be very much in the forefront, how's that going to, how's that going to be any good? But I don't know. I worked hard. I tried, you know, I'm still trying. Singing is, is really difficult for me. It's not, it doesn't come naturally to me at all. It's, it's when I'm writing music, it's the last thing I do. I leave it till the bitter, bitter end. And, you know, it's always, it's not my favorite thing, but I do it because it, someone's got to do it so that's sort of how it happened interesting um a couple of things i wanted to know is so dirty ghosts has beats right this is you got beats going but you also have carson carson and i were you know 
and still are big hip hop fans. Carson is Carson has an amazing collection well beyond what I have of, you know, funk and soul and all these things that we wanted to try to do. But but he was down to do something different. I think we both were. I think we both wanted to see what else was out there musically. But I think the hip hop thing definitely helped for both of us, us being big fans. And mm-hmm. it didn't bother us. It didn't really bother us in that respect. But but Carson was not, I mean, by the time the first record came out, Carson wasn't in the band anymore. So it didn't last, it didn't last a very long time. But while it did last, I think he enjoyed it. I think I can, I think I can speak for Damien when I say that like Damien is a punk rocker. He identifies as a punk rocker. I'm a hard rocker. When the train stopped at the hard rock station, I got off. And and when, (laughs) you know, the train stopped at the punk rock station, Damien got off. But you, and I guess Carson just kept, kept going on this train and, and, uh, you know, but it's not, it doesn't surprise me when I hear the Dirty Ghosts and I, I know Teen Crud Combo because I know who's the person behind it. It just kind of makes sense that, you know, this is, you, you are, it seems like you are constantly on, on the search uh, musically and the journey will take you to other kinds of musics. Whereas, you know, for someone like me, I'm like, no, this is good. This is good. I can't. I, I can't do anything else. I'm, I'm good here. <laughs> so you know, just let me off here. I'm good. I'm going to stay in my little corner here. And, but you keep going. And I think, you know, if people were to really take a listen to your, your entire catalog and, 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 and go from Teen Cred Combo to like this new Dirty Ghosts song, um, it's like, wow, it's, it's really impressive. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it is. Uh, so... After Carson left and the first album came out, did you guys do any touring? We did. We started touring. Mm, yeah, we started touring right around the time the first record came out. And I had I had put the first version of the band together, which was a drummer, a bass player, and then another guy who played a little bit of keyboards in a sampler to try to, you know, get a little bit of that sound of what was going on on the record. And, and so what we wound up doing on the record is because all of, all of the songs we made had drum loops and um, samples on them. So we actually brought in a live drummer okay. and he, he would play to, it wasn't for every single song, but for the majority of the record, he would play kind of underneath all the samples and drum loops so that it sounded a little bit more, it just, I don't know, it had more of a three-dimensional sound, I suppose. Right. So, yeah, we just, we tried to, you know, it's we've never been able to capture what we did on the first record live. It's just, you know, it was way too much of a studio project. Mm-hmm. But we toured it, we toured that record for a, a year or maybe a year or two, two years, something like that, I think. So, was this the first band that you did uh, an extensive amount of touring? Did yes. Teen Crud even Actually, tour? You know what? That's not true. Teen, no. Teen Crud 
we tried to book a tour. It was the hardest. It was really hard. And we wound up only playing one show in Youngstown, Ohio, in the driving back. It was very sad. Oh, um, my God. I think that's what every Toronto musician has to go through. It was, it was just, it was painful. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I remember just, like, sitting, like, in my parents' bedroom with my phone, you know, my phone book open and just cold calling people in the U.S. to try to see if we can get on a show with them or you know, who are you? Teen what? Uh, you know, it was tough. But yeah, so we did that one show and Parchment Farm wound up doing, we did a couple of tours. We supported the fucking champs um, on a US tour, like a full US tour in maybe 2004. Okay. And then we toured with Oneida and we did a little run with Wolf Mother. And that, that was my first taste of real around the country touring. And that was great. That was really fun. So what put the brakes on Parchment Farm then? Those sound like really good tours. Um, you know, I think for me it was the same. It was like, I would, it was like the three year itch. You know, I, I kind of felt like music I had, and I, I'm only really speaking for myself, but I think musically I I felt like I had painted myself pretty tightly into a corner where it was, you know, a very distinct sound that I had wanted to do. And I think once I started living with Ian and seeing what he was doing, I became really inspired and it sort of, woke me up to want to try different things and try what he was doing and explore different things musically. And I just felt like I needed to break off and, and try something else. You know, I, I think that, I think that with Parchment Farm, I, there was this part of me that had this dream that it, this was going to be the band and it was going to, it was going to go somewhere and we were hoping it would. And, you know, we put out two EPs and we did some touring and it was great. And it just never really went to the next step. And I think I had put a lot of energy into trying to get it to go there and it just mm -hmm. wasn't happening. Sometimes it just, it just doesn't happen or, or whatever. And I think I just became impatient with it. And, you know, instead of just trying to see it through and, and spend more time on it and see where it could go, I think I just my inclination was like, well, nothing's really happening with this. So I'm going to go try this other thing now. And, and because this is exciting for me and, you know, computers and pro tools and samplers, and I've never done this before and I want to learn how to do it. And that's where I, I want to spend my time. And that was kind of what it was. And it, it was this kind of what I, same thing as I had mentioned before, it was like, it was a reaction to what I was doing and I needed to go deal with it immediately, whether that was, the right thing to do or, or not that was just what i did so okay so this new song strange weather is under the dirty ghosts name uh yes. and it, it's but it's all you now right am i wrong well it it's all it that particular recording was was mostly me because it was done under quarantine so the second dirty ghost record uh was written arranged and performed um mostly by myself and tony sevener who is the drummer 
in Dirty Ghost, and and he joined he joined uh, somewhere around the end of the first album cycle. So if you listen to the second Dirty Ghost album, it's pretty different from the first one, and that sort of that continues on my path of just completely continuing to you know change things up every time and make things confusing for ev- anyone who's following what I do musically. But that was that album was my reaction to the first album, which was okay. Now I need to put together a band and do like a live. I want to go back to just playing guitar and having a band and going into a studio and not using beats and not using samples and just having more of a live band. And uh, this, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh yeah. So, so strange weather is sort of like coming out of that. So we did the second album and it's like, okay, we did that. Had my, had my, had the live band fix and and now I want to go back to exploring the things that I maybe did on the first album, which is using different sounds and, and finding ways to, I guess, finding ways to create new sounds that maybe I just couldn't do in a regular three piece live band. heard strange weather when you sent it to me it, it was um reminded me of something i was trying a couple of years back where i was i wanted I, I bought a keyboard and i was i wanted to do something very similar to you know uh, offshoots of tangerine dream and klaus schultz and all this stuff and and so you did it so i was like wow that's really cool. really cool so that's why i really I really liked it. I, I, I honestly did. I, I, I dug it a lot. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So that was, it was really cool. And of course, you know, I have the, the, the box. The keyboard is still in the box. I have yet to nice. take it out. I, <laughs> but maybe your, maybe your Strange Weather song will inspire me to take it out of the box and go for it. In, in, in a, instead, I just went ahead and did a noise album. So, oh yeah, I just went. In, I just did a noise record that was mastered, and I was gonna press it on vinyl right before the pandemic. Oh my God! Can you send it to me? Yeah, yeah, I could send it to you. Um, so when I heard "Strange Weather," it reminded me of my um, initial push to to do something tangerine dreamy. Um, 
of course, yours has vocals. Do you, is there any guitar on there? There is a little bit of guitar at the very end. It sounds it sounds kind of like a keyboard because I'm playing it through a really burnt out fuzz pedal that's going direct, which I kind of tweaked to make it sound like a keyboard. Yeah, that's what that's, I thought. Yeah, I thought it was a there. keyboard trying to sound like a guitar, actually. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, the other way around. I I knew it. I knew you had minimized uh, your guitar playing, and that goes back to what I was originally saying about, um, you know, certain kinds of musicians who just like evolve and eventually you're going to just like, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're probably going to end up like, it's kind of like the abstract painter where, Mm -hmm. you know, from the outside you just go, what the hell is this? This It's just like lines on a, like a canvas. And (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile, you know, and and so like those, you know, they evolve to the point where all they do is like, I don't know what you're going to do. You're end up going to just, play bells like one bell per minute one sound on a bell per minute mm-hmm. and that's that's how you're eventually going to evolve that's the your last record will be that i hope so you know what i mean it's like you started I off do. with the shuttlecocks and i was like that is my first memory of you of watching you on stage and then of course team yeah. card combo shows were i kind of knew from from what i saw at the shuttlecocks i kind of knew that uh you were doing a certain type of music and then yeah. now doing Dirty Ghosts and the Strange Weather and then there's hardly any guitar. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. It's like, yeah, she's just going to, you know, record a, I don't know, like some screaming in a cave in some sort of I'm pu- on my way. public park. Yeah. And that's, that's where you're going to end up. Well, you got to keep things interesting, you know, you got to stay inspired. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i of two schools. I, I agree with you on that, and I also agree with the whole kind of Ramones, Motorhead, ACDC approach to music as well, which is where I funnel most of you know our band. And I can live in that world because I understand that school of thought. But, yeah. there, but there is the other school of thought that is a lot, that scares me, scares me uh, is to do what you're doing, which is... Well, I think I... Going forward and pushing. Right. Which to me feels like it's out of necessity because if I could be doing one, you know, living in in one world and just staying put and being happy there, for me, that would be the most ideal because then I could actually have a, a band that would be consistent and maybe would last throughout the years and could build a catalog that would make more sense musically. But I think I just tend to get impatient and I I'm always looking for new things that will in, inspire me and keep me interested and and so I'm reaching for all these different things quickly within maybe a short amount of time and and so I don't that that can be good in some ways and that could also not be good in other ways. So I think if I was able to do both that would be an ideal scenario which it sounds like you can do. Which is great. Well, I mean, the the record hasn't been released. We'll see how many tens of people uh, <laughs> <laughs> snatch it up. Um, sure. But you know, it's 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 pretty unlistenable, I think. But at the same time, I like it. I it, well, I, that's I, all that matters. Yeah, that, you en- you enjoyed making it. That's all that matters. At least to me, with music, it's you know, you have to. I'm I'm only speaking for myself. Is that in creating music, if you're not 
enjoying it if it's not fun then i don't know why then why why would why sh- why do it i've never done a project that's gone beyond three years and dirty ghosts technically started when carson and i were you know sitting down at the computer jamming over beats i mean that was happening in uh 2007 maybe so it's probably in some way shape or form has been going for 13 years i guess wow yeah what the hell but we didn't put a record out until 2011 Right. So kind of got a slow start. And then, you know, we've only put two records out and that's over nine years. So I don't move very fast. But I, but I also, there's been a giant gap between the last Dirty Ghost album and, and Strange Weather. Like the band has been pretty much at a standstill for three years. And I went off and did this other project, which wasn't really in the place of Dirty Ghost, but it was just something that I was, I needed to do to get involved, to still be involved in some sort of musical project, but maybe it wouldn't be as all-encompassing as Dirty Ghost, because I, I think I got a little bit of burnout after the touring and the end of that second record. I, I needed to stop. What was I that? I kept trying. That, that was around... That was around 20, 2016 was kind of the end. Um, we did a few tours and we, you know, I, we were still touring the second record and it, it was the same kind of thing. It was just like trying to keep the momentum of staying at a level, which is not very high, but expending all that energy to try to stay there and, and it not going in one dire- in the direction I wanted it to go in mm. was really taxing. And I think it's taxing on other band members. And, you know, it's like at this point we were all in our late thirties and I think, and, and again, I had been doing it since 2008 and, and, um, so we stopped, we stopped touring and, uh, the band fell apart a little bit. And I, I kind of went back into my, you know, my little, studio cave and just kept writing and trying to come up with stuff and nothing was happening. We didn't play any shows. We we didn't play for about three years. And, and in there I got involved with this other project called the red room orchestra, which I don't know if I ever told you about. No, but I've seen it on Instagram, right? You're, you're playing live with other musicians, right? Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it, it's called an orchestra, but it's not, it's not a giant, it's not a real giant orchestra, but it's, I would say it's a collective of maybe anywhere between 10 to 20 musicians. And it is mainly a a soundtrack based band, um, that does shows, uh, for festivals and one-offs and stuff like that. And they're usually, it's usually based around a movie or a particular soundtrack and we learn it and perform it and maybe do the show once or twice and then go on to another soundtrack. Right. So that was, um, that's been a great experience and, and just getting my chops up and being in a t- completely different situation musically and with different people and having a different role. That's a, you know, being a much smaller part of a, a bigger organization and playing with guys who are really quick on their feet 
people that can improvise, people that can read music and, you know, which for me, I'm very out of my comfort zone doing all that stuff, but Mm -hmm. I had to just kind of show up and, and be able to deliver. So yeah, it's kept me in shape, I guess, over the years and I'm still, it's still going. I don't know what's going to happen with now because this is, this is mainly a live band, but, um, but I think that's sort of stretched me um musically in some ways maybe brought me to where i am right now maybe it didn't i don't know but it's been a very good thing for me to be doing on the side Uh, they don't put out records though right no it's really just um it's really just for these one-off situations and there's there's a big comedy fest that they have here every year called sketch fest happens once a year and um a lot of comedians from LA and some um, actors and, you know, people come to San Francisco and they have all of these theme based shows. So they'll have like a spinal tap show and the cast of spinal tap will come and they'll show the movie and then they'll, they'll have a panel and the three guys will be there. And then they'll have a night where a bunch of different comedians, you know, Zach Galifianakis and Bob Odenkirk and like pretty, pretty great, um, People will come to this thing. And so we play every year as part of whatever is decided for us. We're whatever soundtrack they decide they want to have a show for that maybe coincides with a live show that they're doing. So the first year um, when the Twin Peaks reboot was happening, they had all the um, all the cast from Twin Peaks come and they had a big panel discussion, and then we did the Twin Peaks soundtrack live oh, uh, cool. later that night. It was great, and then the cast all came down, and they performed, and we did some songs with them, and that was sort of what kick-started the whole Red Room Orchestra. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, so we, we do... Um, we've done Wes Anderson soundtracks, and uh, The Big Lebowski, and... Yeah, different different things like that, and I don't know. Different comedians will come and do guest spots with us, and so we do maybe two show, two or three shows a year. Oh, okay. So that's been right. That's been going on for the last couple of years. I see. Yeah. Well, that's you know, been very fun. What I wanted to ask you that I didn't start off asking you was, um, because. You left it off with with turned out a punk. With uh, I think it it ended with the uh, uh, dissolving teen cred combo. What what made you come to San Francisco? I think it well. I think it was feeling actually that I think the tour. It's a little cloudy in my mind, but that tour that I was talking about, the, where we went to Youngstown and came back. Mm-hmm. I think that was for me, it was, that was a big, that was a kind of a harsh dose of reality. Just looking at what I, knowing what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go musically. And, you know, is that where, is, are we all on the same page? Is that what everyone else wants to do with their life? And I don't know that it was. And I think I was, I needed to come to terms with that. And it took me about a year and I, felt like because I had um, the scene was relatively small at the time and I'd done shuttlecocks and I kind of felt like teen crowd combo was 
even though it, I feel like musically it was starting to explore a little bit more. And I, I feel like the, towards the end, the band was actually getting better and the writing was getting a little bit better. And I feel like I was starting to understand a little bit more about songwriting, which I had never thought twice about before. It was like, let's just, here's the chords. Here's a, you know, here's an intro. Here's a middle part. Here's an end. And let's just play this as fast as we can. I was trying to be a little more methodical about what we were doing. Mm-hmm. So I could, I could sense that within me that I was wanted to grow as a musician and it maybe wasn't going to happen in that particular situation. And I kind of thought about, you know, well, if, if I leave teen cred combo, which I didn't want to do and to start another band that was just going to be, you know, that would take me outside of Toronto and tour, like, what would that even be? You know, and who would that even be with? And, and, but I didn't want to do it with anyone else. I wanted to do it with this band, but it wasn't going to happen with this band. So Mm. I felt like I needed to go to another city and find a completely new group of people and just start completely from scratch. And, um, and because I felt like, well, I didn't want to move to Vancouver or Montreal. I was really happy in Toronto that I would have to maybe try the United States and see if I can make it work there. So, um, so that's what happened. And I wound up in San Francisco because the cities that I wanted to, to move to originally, New York and Chicago were so close to Toronto that I felt like if I, if I could get back in a day on a bus, I probably was still too close to Toronto. So I needed to be somewhere where I was stuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I had to just deal with it. And you had family there, friends there? No, I didn't know anyone here. Wow, um, that is I, amazing. It, it was very scary. And, and it was not, I am not that person at all. I mean, I was living in my parents' house at 22 years old. I mean, I, I had not even moved out, got my own apartment, nothing. So I think by that time I felt like I needed to do something really drastic and I needed to put myself in a situation that was going to make me, it was just going to force me out of my comfort zone. And, um, so that's what happened. And I was able to come to San Francisco through, um, a musician's visa program that someone had told me about. And I would just continue to renew my musician's visa every year until I, I was able to get a green card. That's right. On on Turned Out of Punk, you said it was Caton DePena from Hyrax who helped you out. Yes. Caton's been on the podcast. Has C- he? Caton's the best, yeah. I mean, I, fi- I figured you guys probably knew each other. I we've, don't know if he would even remember me, but it was a long time ago. Well, we've never met. We've only, you know, we've only, I reached out to him after... I know, you know, after I noticed something was going on on Twitter or Instagram or something, and I could, uh, but, yeah. but never have met Caton. Always wanted to my whole life, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I heard his name dropped on Turned Out of Punk, I was like, "What?" <laughs> I know that's funny, eh? It's because um, I was trying to get him to sign. Or, or put out not I don't know if sign is the right word, but he had that label Junk Records in the late nineties. So was Junk and Records his label? As far as I know it was. I didn't know it was his label. It was his I'm pretty sure it was his label. That's incredible. 
And I don't even know. I, I might have even got his contact through Zeke or someone in that universe because I have no idea how I got a hold of him. But I did, and I was trying to push Teen Cred Combo on him, and he was not interested. But he was very nice. And so when this whole thing with this visa came up, I... I had gotten to know him a little bit at the time. So I called him the back and I asked if he was, you know, up for helping out and he was, so that's how it happened. That is incredible. I, I mean, I've wanted Funny. to, I've wanted to meet Kate in my whole life. He, he, that's why I reached out and I grabbed him for the podcast. Even if, you know, usually it's people who I've, I know, or I've met, or we have a history together who get on the podcast, but sure. I mean, you got to make an exception for Kate and Depena. So that was really cool when I heard his name on, on turned out a punk part of your story. That's yeah, so cool. that was a that was a random one, but yeah, he was great. He really, I mean, he hooked me up. Wow, that is yeah. wow. What a story! I mean, the balls to just go out and like no net to San Francisco with no net. I know. I, I know. can't even well, handle this- San Francisco for a night. Oh. You know what? I think I I needed I needed to be in a situation where I was well, first of all, I was like completely sheltered and naive. I mean, I'd never I'd barely been anywhere in the United States except for Florida many times with my family and and you know, LA once with Jamie Towns and I went to LA for my birthday and a little bit of New York, but like, you know, again, I I stayed living at my parents' house for way longer than most people do. So I think that I, 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 re- I needed to do something extreme. And I had saved up enough money that if, if this didn't work, I gave, I gave myself an amount of time. And I, I said, okay, if I can't make this happen within X amount of months, I'm coming back. That's the deal. I'm just going to run out of money and come home. So we'll see what happens. So I went over there and I was able to find work within maybe three months. And, and so I got lucky and, and I just, I was able to stay doing that job for a really long time. Wow. Yeah. That is so amazing. Right place, right time. Yeah. Yeah, I got lucky. I mean, and I didn't even, I didn't even talk, bring up Derek Beckles. Uh, oh yeah, right. Yeah, I, 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 all intent, but I just re- I, Katen's name just popped into my head when you when you said uh, what was it, Junk Records? I remembered that from Damien's podcast. But I yeah. guess now that I've mentioned him, how did you hook up with Derek, who's also been on the podcast? Oh, I got to listen to that episode twice. Wow. Twice yeah. he's been on twice. Oh my God, yeah, yeah. Derek's a special guy. Oh yeah, um, I mean. I I met Derek uh, walking around Toronto one night. Me and Nick Flanagan and Esther Choi. It was a hot summer night. We had nothing to do, and we were looking for a good time. And Nick said, I think this guy who works for Vice is having a house party. I thought, that sounds fun. Let's go do that. So we knocked on his door. I don't know that he knew Nick or Nick knew him. Maybe they vaguely knew each other. I, I can't remember, but it seemed like they didn't know each other well at that point. And Derek answered the door, and that was where I met him for the first time. And uh, and I, I, I fell out of touch with him, but when we started 
when Dirty Ghost got going, so this was, you know, many, many years later, and we were working with Last Gang, who put our record out. They're in Toronto, but we were over here. Which is also hilarious how you get back to Toronto in a weird way. It's just, it, you know, all the relationships that I formed at the, be- at the beginning, you know, in my formative years have been, I've kept them and they've been very valuable relationships and friendships. And that was, you know, Mark Pietro was how we got involved with Last Gang and mm-hmm. Derek, Derek did our videos and, you know, I don't know. There's, I, I feel like I have a lot of connections to all the people that I had met in the mid 90s back home in toronto that are still strong friendships and connections Mm -hmm. so yeah so derek wound up doing our videos for the first and second album and we reconnected there nick nick actually was he suggested derek he he just said because i i had asked him i said well we need to make a video do you have any ideas of you know who i should ask or i think they were maybe they were looking for canadian directors or something like that and so nick said well why don't you call derek and i thought oh my god derek god i haven't talked to him in forever so he was up for it and he made he made three videos for the band that are amazing it's i mean music like i think it's you know some of the best stuff that the the best stuff the band ever did was the music videos as far as i'm concerned he did such amazing work so i feel very lucky that we were able to collaborate with him but yeah, he's he's amazing. Yeah, he's a he's a great guy, um, and oh my god, one of the funniest guys anyone can meet. So definitely, <laughs> yeah. Um, but listen, Allison, this has been great jumping on the podcast. It's been a long time. You should have been here years ago, um, but you know, things are how they are, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm just happy to have you here now. Um, and look, when this whole pandemic garbage is over and you are in Toronto, you got to get Nick and, and come on by and we'll do one face to face. That sounds great. I would love that. Yeah. It was so nice talking to you, man. It was great. I had a good time. Oh, this is great.